welcome to Sustainability Matters, the Anthesis Podcast. My name is Chris Peterson and I'll be your host. In this series, I get to speak with colleagues, thought leaders, and friends on the key sustainability topics of the day. As such, I'm really pleased to be speaking with Paul Crew on the commercial criticality of sustainability. This is a topic that I love to dig into and really see as fundamental to the maturation of the sustainability space and critical to harnessing the power of business going forward. Paul couldn't be better positioned to speak to this topic for a number of reasons, including the fact that he's an executive director and our chief sustainability officer here at Anthesis, as well as prior to joining us, he had extensive career at Sainsbury Argos and others where he led sustainability, energy, engineering, environment, and facilities management. Among other things, he was instrumental in delivering some of the highest returning investments in Sainsbury's 150-year-old history through key sustainability investments and technology programs. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Good afternoon, Chris, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, talk to you. Thank you very much for joining. This is great. So let's Uh, jump in with what you mean by the commercial criticality of sustainability. Yeah, so so for me, we I'm going to make a, a, a an assumption that everybody understands that you know, the the world is changing and climate change impacts are, are are real. And what I want to focus on today is what does it really mean for businesses? What does it really mean for commercial entities? And and I want to draw on some of the experiences that I've had um, over the past nine years um, leading the sustainability agenda in Sainsbury's. Um, and and bring to life what it really does mean and has meant for um, a, a pretty large organisation. It provides uh, most of the food and non-food um, uh, for um, residents in the UK. And for me, if I think about a business, um, there are a number of factors that drive um, um, the commercial impact on sustainability. If you think about most businesses, um, there first cost is either energy or it's people. So if we take people out of the equation for a second, it's very important. Um, and we think about the next controllable, highest controllable cost, then energy configures up there alongside water and alongside waste. And so if we can think about areas that can create value to businesses by either reducing costs which in turn are able to reduce the impact on um, the sustainability measures that a business has through carbon or through waste or for uh, water, then you can start to have significant bottom line value accretive benefits to the business. And if you think about other drivers, so you have the commercial physical bottom line drivers, but there's also many other drivers that make a big difference to a business. Now, the, the, the uh, consumers, your customers, and your colleagues can have a huge impact on how a business is perceived and how you know colleagues feel working for an organisation when um, uh, things are being seen to be done for the right reasons. You have lots of measures out there: CDP. Um, um, you have TCFD. You have science-based targets. We have UNSDGs. Well, these are all important factors which enable businesses to be measured on performance. And these aren't just about driving bottom line, but it's about perception, which then moves into reputational criticality of sustainability. They're very much intrinsically linked. And from my perspective, 
working with many organizations since joining um, and thesis uh, over the past 18 months. Um, uh, what I've, I've seen is that, that the reputational aspect is increasing day by day. There are many factors that can actually influence and create a change for a business that have customers that can choose to shop with them if they're a retailer by going and choosing one door versus another door, depending upon the 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 the, 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 the operations that the business is perceived is taking a lead on or driving in their own operations. And we also have media, we have government, um, and we have people power that makes a huge difference. But where I found uh, an increasingly important factor is we, I've spent an enormous amount of time um, talking with institutional investors, shareholders, private equity. And over the years, um, you know, uh, when uh, businesses um, were being viewed by uh, those uh, financial institutions, um, environmental social governance in the past has been a formality and to a degree, in some instances, a bit of a tick box exercise. But what I'm seeing right here and now, and I've seen over the last 18 months, is that ESG, environmental social governance, is absolutely mainstream, is an extremely serious focus for those investors. And so the type of analysis and questions that those investors are taking and asking um, um, are now very important in the decision-making, in some instances, for where those investors are actually going to place their bets and invest in organizations. And one of the things that, uh, as an example, um, I, um, I used to attend um, uh, AGMs and investor roadshows in Sainsbury's. And for many years, um, questions around sustainability were, were never asked. Um, but in my um, formative time in Sainsbury's, during those sessions, um, absolute awareness was, was there and questions were being asked both at an AGM level, an annual general meeting level, but also by investors because they were absolutely getting that the, the way in which, you know, Sainsbury's and other organizations need to prepare for the future, they need to ensure that they are focused on those causes um, that could have an, an impedance on the growth or actually those businesses being sustainable, as in I being physically able to trade in the future. And if I just give you a couple of examples, um, if I think around energy, and if I just take the UK alone, if this will not be just the UK, this could be probably most, most um, continents and countries, um, the likelihood of energy increasing um, over the next three or four years is extremely high. And in the UK, there are some um, indicators that energy is going to increase by 30 to 40%. Now, as I said earlier, if your highest or second highest controllable cost in the business is energy, that is going to be a big number. And so being smart and being able to take practical examples of providing interventions to protect yourselves from the cost of rising energy but also reducing energy and creating your own energy is, is something absolutely that makes a huge difference. 
So I have experience of deploying very large um, interventions um, in in organisations that allow those businesses to take control of their energy usage. And so, for example, uh, if I think about um, energy reduction in the first instance, the best thing to do is is reduce your energy um, before you start thinking about procuring um, other alternative types. Um, and you know, practical examples of of interventions to reduce um, are, are are not rocket science. They're very simple. So if I take um, um, LED lighting, you know, um, by implementing LED lighting um, to replace standard fluorescent type fittings and halogen fittings. Now, I have really strong examples of reducing energy immediately by around about 90%. Those are big numbers. And the payback is less than three years. So all of a sudden, being able to connect those type of activities with your um, chief financial officer and those people in your business that are accountable for capital investment, these suddenly start to make real strong sense. Basic monitoring, you know, being able to monitor your energy systems um, and being able to use really simple, smart technology without having to replace all of your existing operational building management systems can pay dividends. You know, I've had examples where I was able to put um, a, a, a monitoring system that was using all of the existing wiring and monitors and sensors and was able to get payback of below two years. And these were all competing with capital and a business um, that was needed to keep that business going. But it's not just about reducing energy in your own operations. It's also about how can you generate your own power? How can you think laterally? And there's lots of myths and legends that being sustainable needs to cost you the earth. Well, it doesn't. It really, really doesn't. And there are some fantastic examples of technologies that can really make a difference. We've got traditional photovoltaics that go onto roofs and that produce uh, power through through sunlight. That's great. But there's been new technologies that have been introduced in the last year or two years that are highly more efficient than PV panels and can absolutely create heating and hot water through the same tube um, as producing electricity. And by deploying those, you can actually utilize 50% um, of, the, of the roof space that you would traditionally use for PVs in those environments, in those geographies where the electricity and the incentives of using renewable energy works. Right the way alongside other um, uh, opportunities in temperate climates to use the earth, going back to traditional Roman method, methodologies of using um, the heat in the earth to heat buildings. So we've got some great examples of where we've used deep bore ground source heat pumps. And these are actually pretty sexy bits of equipment where um, uh, the, 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 the ground around the property is drilled to a depth of around about um, 500 meters. And in the UK, that's lower than the uh, tube line um, in London, which is, which is pretty deep. And when we're able to capture the heat from the refrigeration systems in the, in the retail store and put it into the ground, it helps the refrigeration systems to become more efficient. But then you can draw that heat out of the ground in the winter, and all of a sudden you've got a renewable circular 
way of, of generating heat, which is completely renewable. So these things are all tangible. They pay back fantastically well. Um, they stand alone um, and they make a big significant impact to those businesses that are deploying them. And again, they were able to provide some fantastic sustainable credentials, reductions in carbon, um, reductions in water, but it can also be extremely commercially viable and help the business to do things that they could no longer continue to do if those rising costs of energy continued. And Paul, I think that that's great. There's some really interesting examples there. And I know I'm speaking with a number of peers and colleagues and friends in the space, right? They, you know, those types of examples are things people get excited about, see lots of opportunity, but that commercial value that you were just talking about. Maybe could you unpack that a little bit in terms of how did you take those ideas and translate them into some clear benefits and address some of the challenges and opportunities in getting those approved within the change barrier or others? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that is the probably the, 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 the key aspect. Being able to translate um, opportunities in a language that is understood by the decision makers in the business are absolutely critical. Um, I had the uh, uh, the opportunity to work for the chief financial officer in Sainsbury's, which was very interesting um, because it really made me think um, uh, how to, to land the right messages with the individual and the, and the, and the board that he sat on that made those decisions. And what I found was vital was having the right data. Yeah, everybody talks about data um, as being essential. It's not essential, it's absolutely critical. And what that enabled me to do was to have fact. Having the data around the operations, having data around um, um, the, the technologies I wanted to deploy, and, but translating the story not just into a an Excel spreadsheet that was fantastic for the accountants in the business. It was being able to translate that into a really compelling story that was simply and clearly understood by the whole of the decision makers that weren't necessarily always accountants in the business, clearly and simply. And so I spent my life um, over the last, probably last, what, from today, going backwards, over the last nine, 10 years, as being a storyteller, but a storyteller of facts in a very simple manner. And, and once you're able to, to really identify and clearly share what that means to the business, both from a financial perspective, first and foremost, but also what that could mean for the community that that building was situated in, the colleagues in that building, the colleagues in the business, and the customers, all of a sudden you've got a methodology to connect all of the dots together. And when you connect all of those dots together, I was able to really land compelling rationales as to why we should invest. Now, what I found um, <laughs> from personal experience it was great, and I got immediate traction, and I was able to spend literally hundreds of millions of pounds um, over quite a short period of time. 
But all of a sudden, other tools on capital in, in the business were required. The business still needed to maintain its status quo. It was a retailer. It still needed to replace its vehicle fleets. It still needed to replace its digital infrastructure. It still needed to replace and refit and refurb its offices and its stores and its logistics depots. So all of a sudden, even though the return on investments were fantastic and they stood on their own ground, I was still competing in an environment where capital was limited. So I had to think laterally, and um, and this is where I think uh, a huge difference was made. Seeking alternative methodologies of financial funding, but the rollout of those technologies made a huge difference. And 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 examples um, were um, uh, uh, exploring how to. Um, work with banks to generate green bonds. So having a, a, a green bond um, that enabled us to to accelerate a significant number of those technologies. Um, uh, in this instance, I raised a green bond for two hundred million pounds and was very successful. And that enabled a significant rollout of various technologies from refrigeration through to um, energy generation. But also thought even more laterally, and there are great opportunities to create finance mechanisms through finance lease deals. So this is where a technology can be deployed um, at scale across a business. And in this example, um, I deployed LED lighting across the whole of the uh, Sainsbury's estate, um, over 120,000 um, light fittings, and and that enabled the uh, the finance of the implementation and the, uh, the light fittings themselves to be funded by um, a third party. And that um, amount was then able to be paid back through the savings in the energy that were made by the reduction of, of, of energy once those light fittings went in over a period of time, which was very good for Sainsbury's because it allowed an acceleration of investment that would have taken probably five or 10 years based upon the amount of capital that was available. And then the, and the third opportunity is through an energy performance contract, whereby um, um, uh, you can enter into a contract for a third party, somebody like Anthesis, to, to come in and deploy a significant amount of technology encompassing all what I've just, spoke, I've just spoken about. And then you then pay back the, uh, uh, the, the the capital through a share in the savings that are made by the deployment of the technology. Those are all very successful. There's no hypothesis in what I've just shared. They're real examples of, 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 of being able to really scale up the investment in a way that would probably take many, many years utilizing your own capital. Of course, we work today with many clients that have um, uh, capital available. And because I shared previously, the return on investments of these types of, uh, of technology interventions are extremely good. In some instances, as I shared earlier, um, they are so high that they probably exceed quite often um, the core return on investment of the business that those uh, technologies are deployed into. And so, Paul, I'm sold. 
I'm bought in. This sounds great. <laughs> I also kind of, you know, the challenges in the, in the details, right? And so maybe digging a little bit into the sausage making part of it, you know, having you go through that, I'm sure others listening in are saying, well, yeah, I would love to have great data to, you know, have the facts that I could then build a story around. I'd love to pursue alternative financing. So can you give any insights from your experience with Sainsbury or others that stand out for, here's how you get that, that ball rolling, how you get that level of engagement, how you collect that basic monitoring and data, et cetera, within that? Yeah, I mean, you know, every business is, is different. Um, and, but for me, you have to go back to absolute basics. You know, it's it's not about having phenomenally squishy data capture systems. It's about using what you've currently got and making sure that the the operations that are in your business are held account for those key metrics and those key measures. And if I just take very simply energy, waste, and water, and and, and those three ultimately regardless of which business you're operating within, will be pretty high in the in, in the stakes where it comes to your controllable costs that will impact your bottom line. And if you make it important enough that your board will start to ask questions and will really start to want to understand the baseline and the benchmark of your business, it will happen. Unequivocally, it will happen. And you can become smarter and you can start to use systems and become even more refined and optimized. But really taking and having a clear understanding of your, 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 your business operations at every level in those three distinct areas will make a very significant difference. And, and, and quite often, um, that it can be a challenge and, you know, in some instances, I know that, you know, as a business, we, we go in and we, we help and, and, and we, we give people um, advice and guidance. In some, some instances, we'll, we'll, we'll actually do the activities for them. But ultimately, even if we do that, it's really important for the business to understand. And going back to the storytelling I said earlier, it's very difficult to unknow something once you know it. And so, and so, so, being smart at storytelling and raising the awareness of the operational costs in your business and also the, the, the facts around the climate change uh, measures that fit around it, whether that be carbon or physical water usage or the amount of diesel that's being used or the amount of, of, uh, of miles that are being used on for transport. Once you understand and you have that data, it truly does work. But the one thing that um, I'm cognizant of and I've learned from my mistakes is that I was most successful when producing those papers and those business cases to the investment board um, was not to come at it from a sustainability angle, but to come at it from absolutely doing fantastic business. So fantastic business was the language that I was able to utilize and then being able to share the upside benefits of the impact of introducing those types of technologies in the business could have on climate change and could have on the social aspects of those businesses and, and their, for their customers, for their communities. 
and that's where um, I believe the, the the focus is best placed. It doesn't work in every organisation, but from my own personal experience, where I've been the most successful, and as I said, or as you you kindly introduced, the highest returning investments ever made in Sainz was a hundred and fifty year old history were absolutely through sustainability activities and interventions along the lines I've just shared. And um, and 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 so hopefully that dispels myths and legends that sustainability costs you the earth, when in fact it doesn't, it can actually support the earth. Right. Well Paul, that feels like a great way to kind of wrap things up with that. I love that, you know, really focusing in on that fantastic business piece. As you said, you know, being good for the earth and investment cost here, uh, and that translating to kind of business language. So, are there any final thoughts from your side? You know, recommendations, next steps, kind of immediate actions that you suggest to to the listeners on how to get started on this path or keeping the motion. Absolutely, um, really simple. Know your data. Create a compelling story and just go for it. Because once you've got your compelling story, you've got your data, and you start to really explore and understand that those technologies are there, those technologies can be deployed, and they can make a huge difference. And they can support the businesses that you have, and that's great for not only the the businesses themselves, but the communities, the consumers, and most importantly, for your colleagues and the colleagues within your operations and organizations. Because, you know, sustainability, it's such a tangible, palpable, um, feeling sense of awareness being generated globally that this can only be good for everybody that's involved in a business that takes this seriously. And if you can tackle this through generating traction through the commercial aspects of doing the right thing and being able to then celebrate and share that with your your organizational um, relationships, it can only be good. So good luck. I wish you well on your journeys. And if there's anything that I can do to support and Anthesa can do to support, please pick up the phone. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you, Paul. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. And thank you for listening. As always, we'd love your feedback and thoughts, including hearing from you on what has worked for you, what you've learned, and what you're trying to figure out within your own organization. Paul himself can be reached at paul.crew at anthesisgroup.com. That's paul.crewe at anthesisgroup.com. And I'm available via chris.peterson at anthesisgroup.com. Thanks again to Paul for all the insights. And again, to you for listening. Have a good one.